0: Are you giving up your power
1: without even knowing it? How can somebody else make you feel anger or frustration? And why do we continue to do the things that are screwing up our lives? Master of Self author and transformative teacher Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. is here to talk about power, why successful guys still live in scarcity, and what you can do about that guy on Facebook who keeps pissing you off. Welcome to the new man today. We're talking with Don Miguel Ruiz, Jr. He's the author of The Five Levels of Attachment, as well as The Mastery of Self. He's a Toltec Master of Transformation who spent his lifetime training under his grandmother, as well as his father, Don Miguel Ruiz, Sr., who you may know as the author of The Four Agreements. Miguel, I got to see you speak a year or so ago here in North Carolina, and I've gained so much uh, from the wisdom you and your family have shared. It's great to finally have you here on the show.
2: Well, oh, thank you, Tripp. Thank you so much for having having me on your program. It's 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 a truly honor. It's it was a nice time up in Northern Carolina.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I love your approach because it's void of superstition and mythology. It's it's just bare bones. It cuts right down to what really matters and what really works. Um, and and so much of what your books discuss are in the realm of understanding beliefs, and I'm specifically beliefs that have us play small or limit our power or weaken our ability to go for what we really want in this lifetime. So this is where I want to dive in with you today so you can help the rest of us understand how we can become aware of these things and and have it get it out of our way. So the first thing sure. I want to I want to get across is is this idea of domestication. I you know, I know animals can be domesticated, but what does it mean for a man to become domesticated?
2: Well, domestication is just a system of reward and punishment by which we model the behavior of an individual. If we live up to the expectation, uh, we get a reward. And if we don't live up to the expectation, we get a punishment. And since we are emotional beings, that reward feels like acceptance, which feels like love. And the punishment feels like rejection, the lack thereof of love. And it's the way we've learned conditional love in our life, it's the way we've understood love for many times. Right, right. But we humans, uh, the way we're domesticated is, you know, through conditioning or uh, or you can say that we, that reward and punishment when our active domesticator judges us. For example, like if you get full grades, you're treated a certain way. And if you get bad grades, you're treated in an, another, you know, when we were kids, when we were young, you know, if we live up to a certain expectation, we were considered cool. And if we are cool, then the reward is popularity or acceptance. But if we don't live up to that expectation, then we get ostracized. And the punishment is not only are we going to be called a square, a nerd, or geek, or whatever calls or names we might have been called, we're going to get ostracized until, until we live up to an expectation. So basically, it's how we've shaped who we are based on that domestication. We're giving away permission. And we do that with our culture. We do that with our family values. We do that with our... Music that we musical taste, fashion, and many other things. When our active domesticators stop actively domesticating us, we continue to domesticate ourselves by continuing to believe those conditions, those beliefs, by internalizing those beliefs, and then letting letting that impact our life. It's the way we say it's because we say yes when we want to say no, and we say no when we want to say yes because we're trying to live up to an expectation or a belief. So that domestication within a human being or a man or a woman is basically giving someone else permission, power over us. The idea of domestication is basically the way that we lose our personal freedom, find ourselves loving ourselves conditionally, and it's the way that we only see ourselves based on a model that either we that we live up to or not so the illusion of ourselves, so the vision of ourselves is an illusion.
0: Well, that's
1: where I want to, I just got to jump in there, because I'm thinking that so many guys are out there, they think they're being themselves, but they're really just being their domesticated selves. They've been shaped and molded through domestication throughout their life to be this person. They they really don't have an experience of what you call the authentic self, who they truly are. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Some people are domesticated
2: very lightly, you know, they, were, they always grew up with a sense of self, not And what I mean by that is that they have a sense of who they are without the need of an identity or a symbol to justify who they are. And then from there, you can see a a slippery slope uh, of using that identity or symbol to define ourselves, to know ourselves from that base idea, and then trying to live up to it. And from that point, it varies. It it, it intensifies to to the point where we're so fanatic about that idea. You can say that, that fanaticism is what you know. The war that we see in the world, that 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 drama and all that, is based on we we are attached to our belief of what we're supposed to be, and we let those ideas dictate our actions. So you can say that's the extreme. My thoughts are my creation, but they're not me. They're just my thoughts, and I create them. And they're they're there for as long as I say yes to them. And the moment I no longer believe them, I let go of them. You know, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson says, my favorite quote is. The truth exists whether you believe in it or not. Well, let me add something to that. A belief only exists for as long as we say yes to it. So how we see ourselves depends on that. Like how attached are we to our beliefs? If our beliefs are more important than my own life, then we're completely lost. We're all we're all in different stages of our own awareness, of our own path. And that's, that's the important part, to recognize that, to become aware of that. And then, once we become aware of it, we make a choice to stay where we're at, or to let go.
1: Well, let me see if I got you, got you so far. If we come back to this idea of domestication, that we're essentially programmed. That people are trying to help us, or they're trying to, uh, you know, keep us in line, whatever. And I don't, I don't think it's always bad, right? No, you know, it's of like, course, yeah, yeah. But then we we internalize those beliefs. So even when that person's not around, that voice isn't around. It, it's stuck in our head. It's it's part of our programming. I love the story that you talk about in, in one of your books about your grandmother uh and her in the domestication. I don't know if it was your grandmother or there was a there was a story about the grandmother who who uh wants the kid to to eat clean soup. his yeah. plate yeah, right? Eat the soup, yep. Yeah, can you tell that story in a, in a nutshell what you know, just so we can kind of ground this idea?
2: No, yeah, sure. So the foundation of that story is this like to have free will is to be able to say yes and no with a complete freedom of my life. That's personal freedom. Now, Imagine me at the age of eight and I'm learning how to assert myself, which is just another word to describe that I'm gaining confidence in saying yes and no to the things in my life. And Mm -hmm. I'm I'm enjoying saying no. It feels powerful. It feels good to be able to say no to the things I want to say no to, because up to this point I'm doing everything my parents and family are telling me to do. But now I'm saying no, forget about the terrible twos, terrible eights. Mm -hmm. I know how to talk now. So (laughs) I'm learning about how to control my personal freedom and I am enjoying being able to say yes and no to go in the directions in life that I want to go in. All right, that's the precedent. Right. Now, one day my grandmother comes in with a bowl of soup and she says, here's a bowl of soup for you, Miguel. It'll make you big and strong. And I go, no. But honey, don't you want to be big and strong? Like Popeye, like Superman? No. I say no and I don't want to eat, but for my grandmother at that point it's about nutrition. She knows what is good for me at that point. She's trying to nourish me. She knows better. Obviously, after all those years uh, of her life, the, the wisdom of the, of our elders is there and she knows that I want, that it's going to be good for me. So she tries to persuade me to change that no into a yes, very respectfully, so she says Look, here comes the plane. She's trying to think of things that used to work, and I still say, no. And she tries and tries, no, no, no. And eventually she's getting so many no's that it stops being about nutrition, and it starts being about power and control. Because to respect people is to respect their no just as much as their yes, because we only control to the tips of our own fingers. But when we want to cross that line of respect is to control the will of another. And if we're not getting that yes that we want, then the best way to get it is to control their will. And the best way to do that is for them to give us permission to control their will. And the best way to do that is to make them doubt themselves, to make them doubt their own capacity to say yes and no. This is where domestication comes in. So she decides to cross the line ever so innocently. And she says, mijo, don't you know how many kids don't have anything to eat here in Mexico and around the world? And here you are wasting food, honey, it's a sin to waste food. And I'm going, (gasps) mind you, I grew up Catholic, which means like, Whoa, that's a big, that's a big thing. So Mm. for one, I don't want to look like a selfish child in front of my grandmother's eyes, but I really don't want to look like a sinner. So I go, yeah, yes, grandma. I'll eat the soup and I begin to eat the soup and I finish it. And when I finish it, she says, that's my good boy. Domestication, like I said before, domestication is a system of reward and punishment by which we model the behavior of an individual. And I got the reward because I got, I ate the soup. Had I not eaten the soup, I don't know if she would have followed through, if she she would have called me a sinner or not. I didn't want to find out. So I, Hmm. I said, but here's the thing. She changed that no into a yes. So at that point, I subjugated myself ever so innocently. But here's the thing. You have to be careful what you tell an eight-year-old because fast forward 33 years later because I'm 41 years old now. I go to a Mexican restaurant and they give me a plate this big. (laughs) At least they call it Mexican food. And I begin to eat. And halfway through, my body tells me the truth. I am full because I'm full. I'm I, I'm satisfied. There's no All more right. space. I'm done. My body just told me that. But there's a, a, a belief that I hear, a conscious or subconscious voice that says, it's a sin to waste food. <laughs> and consciously or subconsciously, I say, yes, grandma. And subconsciously, because I've said yes to it so many times that I'm not even aware that I'm saying yes and I continue to eat, and I finish the plate. And I'm so full, you're going to have to roll me out. But Mm -hmm. here's the thing. In that moment of clarity, in that moment of truth, where my body told me the truth, that I am full, that I have no more space, that I'm satisfied, and my natural tendency is to say, no, I'm done, that conscious or subconscious voice or condition subjugated my will again and I went against myself as I said yes to eating because I had to live up to whatever image.
1: I, I love this. I, I just, I've got to interrupt because this is what I see happening with so many guys. They continue to do things that just don't serve them. Their bodies are running into the ground. They're not happy. Their relationships are going off the rails. Um, And they continue to do these things. And it's because of this program. So I just want to underline this for the listener out there. Like This is the process going on in your mind it's like you you're you're still that 41-year-old little kid at the table that doesn't know when to stop eating because he's afraid to to sin and there there's some programming in there that has us betray ourselves uh in order to stay you know to be a good boy or to do what we're supposed to do
2: yeah and and that's the thing like the image that we talked about earlier in the show about the difference between the domestication of an animal versus the domestication of a human being is that eventually our mind or we can say ourselves, becomes the active domesticator, what my father would call the parasite in the four agreements, the voice of knowledge or the voice of our mind that becomes our active domesticator. And it continues to be domesticator because we continue to believe in those conditions. So, And that's going to be truth for as long as we believe it. For as long as we apply it, that's going to be the, the case. And we, if we translate this story to the way our family raised us or of our values or or about the way we vote or the way we listen to music or the the lifestyle we have or the work that we do about relationships especially, then you can see that the majority of the fights we have with other people is who's going to domesticate who, Who who's going to be the active domesticator.
1: I've got a belief. This is what I'm attached to. This is what I. This is so important. I need you to believe this. I need this. You need to conform to this way of being. No, no, no. And you need to look at my way of doing it. And you need to do it my way. And and so they're fighting these beliefs. They're fighting beliefs.
2: Yeah, because if I'm right, I'm worthy of the acceptance or love or whatever motivator we have. And if we're wrong, then we we punish ourselves with whatever voice we've ever used. Looser, whatever. Weak, whatever it is that we were taught, that's that happens. And all of a sudden you can see why we fight to be right and why we do everything we can to not be wrong to the point where we begin to uh, distort knowledge. We begin to distort the truth because in the need to be right, at that point, we were, able, were capable of corrupting everything in order to be right and mm. We do that, and we're so attached to that. You know, we can corrupt the most beautiful traditions. We can corrupt the four agreements and turn them into the the four conditions. Mm -hmm. And I say that because we can use the four agreements to domesticate ourselves just as much as we can use it to liberate ourselves. Mm -hmm. Because if we liberate ourselves with the four agreements, we're using it as an instrument to inform our choice. But we're the one making the choice, which is truth with every beautiful tradition there is in the world.
1: I'm glad you brought that up because I've seen so many people get in. I personally, I got into personal development, you know, to liberate myself, but I, I became a personal development jackass where it just be- became this list of conditions. Yeah. Uh, I felt worse as a result, less liberated and worse. So, I, you know, it's, it's whatever it, the idea can be itself or the tool or whatever it is, but it's our relationship to it. It's our attachment to it that, uh, has us either be, um, liberated by it or, uh, constrained by it.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's what leads because we're so attached to conditional love that we will corrupt it because we've we're so used to using conditional love or that conditional acceptance, whatever word you want to use to replace that to make you feel better. We're so used to that. If I say I'm Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. and I fail to live up to one of the four agreements, and I say, "Oh no, how can I call myself Don Miguel Ruiz Jr.?" And, and that internal diatribe of self judgment kicks in. And judgment is just another instrument that we use to domesticate ourselves, to punish ourselves. Mm. And we judge ourselves for not living up to that image of perfection that is, in my case, Don Miguel Ruiz Jr., that if I live up to the four agreements, then I'm worthy of love. Oh, no, I forgot the fifth agreement. Oh, how can I forget? And, and you can see the <laughs> downward spiral that's happening there, that I'm <laughs> corrupting it and uh-huh. and using it as the four conditions to create an image of myself that doesn't exist.
0: Mm. And
2: the thing is that I can't give what I do not have, which means... Here's my wife, and I says, "You are Mrs. Domiguel Ruiz Jr." Here's the four agreements. Read it, you honey. You know didn't live it, honey. Yeah, honey, you didn't read the four agreements. You you took it personal. How oh, how embarrassing! You're making assumptions. Hmm. I only hang out with people who are impeccable with their own word. Hmm. At that point, you can see how it's no longer an instrument of transformation. It's an instrument of domestication. Mm. Where where I judge someone, I'm punishing them for agreements they never made but I'm forcing them to make the agreement through the punishment.
1: Mm-hmm. I just love that. If, the guy, if, if you're out there and you, and you notice that something that it w- it was, you originally took on to, to find liberation, to find a sense of expansion, uh, notice your uh, relationship to it. Notice if it becomes this thing that's starting to box you in. I should be doing this. I'm supposed to be doing that, and I'm expected to be this or that. It t- that tells me that you've moved into a conditional way of thinking.
2: Which leads us to the next point which is then how we were supposed to use it how are we supposed to use these instruments then which is a good thing because you know a moment of clarity without any action is just a thought that passes in the wind but a moment of clarity that's followed by action becomes a pivotal moment in our life so we become aware that we're doing it we're we become aware that we're corrupting beautiful traditions we're corrupting music we're corrupting politics we're corrupt, we're corrupting all these things and using it as this model so Since we're talking about the four agreements, let's use that. Not taking things personal. Okay, so I become aware that I take things personal. And just like an alcoholic or drug addict that has a moment of clarity and accepts the truth, hello, my name is Don Miguel Ruiz Jr., and I take things personally. (laughs) I stop pretending to be something I am not. And that is Mm. what domestication does. We pretend to be something we're not, and we're protecting that image. Well. I accept the truth. I take things personally, just like a drug addict or alcoholic. says, I accept the truth. And from this moment I begin the the path to letting go of that, but it starts always with the truth because it liberates us. It allows mm. us to see ourselves. And since it's about unconditional love, which is the willingness to see ourselves just the way we are. That's the yeah. gift of unconditional love. I'm willing to see myself conditional love, doesn't allow me to see myself. It only allows me to see myself through this filter or this image or this model. Unconditional love is the willingness to see myself for who I am and mm. to experience the, ex- experience the consequences of my own actions. So mm. I accept the truth. I take things personally. I accept that. Okay. So I read the four agreements and I understand the chapter. And to me, just to sum it up, I'm responsible to the tips of my own fingers I am not responsible for the will of another. I only control my yes and my no. I only control my perception. I do not control the will of another. So to not take things personal is not to assume responsibility for someone else's will. To me, that's how I interpret that particular agreement. Yeah. So I understand that concept, and it's a theory. It's a concept, but the only place where I'm able to express my will, my sense of self, is in this present moment, which means at this present moment, I am the sum of every choice that I have ever made. But at the same time, I'm the youngest I will ever be. Mm. So I understand the concept of not taking things personal and I accepted the truth that I do take things personal. All right. So I accept the truth. So if I can't go back to the past and I can't work on the future, then I can only practice it in the, in the present moment. So. It's time to do the work, which is in the total tradition. We become the hunter. I begin to look for what triggers me to take things personal. What triggers me? What, what triggers my reaction to take things personal? Well, there's this one guy on Facebook or social media whose post made me go. I found a trigger. I can find many, many more, but here I found one trigger. Okay. Mm -hmm. So now I accept the truth that I take things personally. I understand the concept of not taking things personally, and now I know what triggers me to take things personal. Now I have all this fountain of information, but what am I going to do with that? Well, I take action. So I log on to Facebook or social media, whatever. I scroll down, and there's the name. The moment of truth is here. I scroll down a bit more. Oh, it's a doozy. I have a choice. If I take things personal, it's because I want to take it personal and I accept myself just the way I am. So if I take it personal, it's because I want to take it personal. But I also know I have a choice how how not to take it personal. I'm free to say yes to either one. That's personal Hmm. freedom. I'm saying I can free to say yes to taking it personal and yes to not taking it personal. And when I say yes to not taking it personal, that's when that agreement becomes alive. Because I used it to inform my choice, and I'm the one who made the choice. And practice makes the master. I practice that time and time again, and it becomes easier and easier. Because I became a master of conditional love. I became a master, master of taking things personally. So I can unlearn that and, re- and learn how not to take it personally by my application. It's like reading a cookbook. If Mm. you've ever read a cookbook and never applied the recipe, you will never know what that meal will taste like. The only way to know what that meal tastes like is to follow each and every step. And if you succeeded the first time, great. If you didn't succeed the first time, great. Practice makes the master. And the next time you start getting better and better to the point where you start adding ingredients, subtracting ingredients, changing the temperature to make it fit your personal preference. And that's Mm. when that recipe becomes alive. It's true with the Four Agreements. It's true with our the way we train for a half marathon. I, tra- I train for marathons and half marathons. And at first, I started applying these different techniques about how to run up the mileage in order to run. And after four years of doing it, I've learned to combine uh, uh, Bart Yasso and Hal Hingdon. And I combine the two to create one that per- that's perfect for me. And little by little, I became a master of my own running style because I, I learned from them. But the only way I learned from them is by actually applying it. And it's true with our trade. It's true with our work. It's true with our passion. It's true with our relationships.
1: Well, I just I want to underline that because I, if I've been domesticated, if I've been trained my whole life that I need to look outside of myself for information for the way, right, for the path, mm-hmm. no matter what it, what it is, whether it's a certain way of living or if it's how to train for a marathon – and then it's going to take practice to also find my own way, to listen to my own voice and to base that on my own experience. I've been dismissing that my whole life. I've been eating, eating and eating and eating and, and not stopping when it was time to stop. Uh, mm-hmm. So now it's time to actually listen to my experience and say, you know what, this is what works for me uh, mm-hmm. and be willing to go into uncertainty, be willing to go into the places where it's uncomfortable and it doesn't look the way that others are doing it, uh, mm-hmm. but it is what's right for you. Does that fit? Feel- yeah
2: oh it's perfectly because to me life is the greatest teacher you know we, we like we write books and not just us but many many other people from spirituality from trade to training for a marathon to relationships we all write our experiences but you're the one practicing it you know i, mm-hmm. I always combine used to um, the image of imagine an apple orchard and you're the you're going to grab from each tree, an apple that's going to nurture you. Not all the apples in that tree are going to be good. Some of them have worms. Some of them are rotten. Some of them are perfect. Some of them are just downright delicious. Mm. You're the one who's going to choose which apple is going to be perfect for you because these, all these trees, all these apple trees, you consider them a teacher in your life. They're going to share what they know, but you're going to grab from each one because you're going to be nurtured by them as you walk your path. But when I know myself and I know what makes me happy, I know what hurts me, I know what makes me feel horrible, then respect comes by taking care of myself,
1: both emotionally and physically. For me, that's, that's it. Let's move on to scarcity. One of the things that, um, that you talk about in the book, you say, um, there's always enough of whatever you need in this moment. But you did not say there was always going to be enough of whatever you want in the moment, but rather what you need. And this, this scarcity mindset, it affects me at times. It shows up across the board. You know, I'm a coach, and I coach guys that are worth millions, and they're still operating in this bubble of scarcity. No matter how much they have, it never seems to be enough. They're still comparing themselves. themselves. They're always looking at what they, what's missing. Um, uh-huh. Can you explain what's going on here and what you mean by that? You, you've always got enough of whatever you need in this moment.
2: Oh sure. Well, first of all, this is my point of view. I see what I have, which is me. Physic- if I if I put value into the things around me, like this house or this car, then if I base myself off love and like as my- he or she who dies with the most toys wins, then of course I'm always going to see everything with scarcity because my sense of self is de- dependent on how much I have. Mm -hmm. And there's a difference between need and want from that point of view. Need, what do we need in life? In life, what we need is to breathe, eat, and have enough material that allows us to survive the environment around us. I live about 25, 35 minutes away from a place called Donner's Pass. Donner's Pass is famous because of a Donner party who got caught in a winter storm and eventually they had to eat each other because they were desperate. They weren't, they weren't ready. Mm. So in life, if we know we're going to be in an environment that's like that, then we do the work on spring, summer, and fall that allows us to survive that winter. If we don't do that work, then we were going to have a very harsh winter. So what I mean by that is not the possessions that we have, the abundance we have is the intent that we the energy the the force the strength we have to create a life for ourselves. one of the biggest fears we have is that we're gonna run out of love that no one's going to be worthy of love that you could say that's the one reason why we we struggle so hard for these material things. The more we have the more we're able to have respect from someone else because that's the the motivator that's the Motivator that motivated a lot of people or drove a lot of people to create incredible amount of wealth because if you don't have it, then how do you expect to be respected? Right. If you want to be respected, you have to have those possessions. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between that mentality and having the the mentality of survival. What we need is what we have in our hands, which is the, cap- the capability of creating that for ourselves that allows us to survive, which is different from the point of view of I need to be worthy of love. Thus I'm gonna work and work and work and work and work. Not because I have a passion for it, but I'm gonna do all these things to create a sense of model or respect for for
1: respect. Right. It's another form of the domestication, right? Is that I'm not exactly. okay unless I have these other things. And we start to confuse survival with status or conditions for love
2: yeah exactly so now that's the difference between passion and obsession the obsession is always chasing for that elusive carrot that illusion passion is using that carrot to nurture me so i can keep creating we enjoy sometimes we get abundance by doing what we love to do Sometimes that passion is through acting, sometimes through music, sometimes by constructing homes, sometimes by by philanthropy. Sometimes there's so much. Mm -hmm. But if we are constantly uh, chasing a carrot, it doesn't matter what we do; it's always going to be illusion. If I say I'm only worthy of my love, if I run a marathon in Boston qualifying time, if I'm attached to that image that I'm going to say I'm a loser, I'm I'm not really living my life at that moment. As soon as I achieve that goal, then I'll be happy. The thing is that as soon as I reach that goal, I'm like, yeah, no, I can do it faster. I'm always choosing an elusive carrot because I'm never satisfied with the present because how can I be worthy of love with what I have?
1: Right. You never, you never grounded that awareness, or you never came from that place of self-love and self-acceptance. It was always a pursuit. Yep,
2: and that's what we call obsession. Now, the difference between that, that obsession and passion is that I enjoy it. One of the reasons why I love running is that I cross thresholds that my mind says I couldn't cross, and I enjoy crossing that thresholds. I enjoy proving my self-doubt wrong, my, my own beliefs wrong that I might, that I'm able to surprise myself that is passion because I enjoy it right if you enjoy it enjoy it and sometimes 3 miles are going to be difficult sometimes 16 miles are going to be easy
1: yeah well I I love this this idea of of just like how do I know if I'm in this realm of domestication and I'm you know abandoning myself and how do I know if I'm you know in a healthy version and it's just enjoyment that's your your body is letting you know that that this is uh not obsession, that it's passion, and 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 go ahead and pursue it. Uh, I just find that so powerful, especially for the guy that's out there and maybe he's gone through these cycles in his career or, or even in relationships where it's not rewarding. He's he's trying to get it right, but it's just exhausting him and he's wondering, he's throwing his hands up like, gosh, man, what do I what am I doing? What am I doing wrong here? Well, consider that it's your mindset and how you're approaching it, and you're coming from this domesticated way of doing it instead of look ask, asking the question what do i enjoy what actually has me feel most alive um
2: yeah exactly it's it's celebrating life you know i have a friend who is qualifying for boston and instead of uh, of of comparing myself and judging myself for to his success i'm going to celebrate his success i'm like yeah go for it man you you're an inspiration and that's the key to be inspired to mm-hmm. create that's mm-hmm. what that's what that's what allows us to stop competing because if you stop competing, all of a sudden you look at everyone, it's like, wow, look at the craft that's going into it. We're all doing it differently.
1: We can admire. It's,
2: it's you, admire, you admire it. You're like, wow. You know, you, you look at you know, my my hero is Tony Wynn from the San Diego Padres. I love one, he's one of my heroes. He was like he he went to Yankee Stadium in 1998 for the World Series, and he got the first opportunity and he cracked that ball and he got a home run. He's like, I hit a home run. At Yankee Stadium during the World Series, he, he was excited. He did mm. the best he can. He enjoyed it, but at the same time, he was in awe about watching Jer- Derek Jeter. He's like, "Wow, look at that guy! He is gonna be a legend." He's watching him as well, like, "Wow!" And at that point, Tony Wynn was already an established legend, but he's like, he, he he look he's looking at the future and like, "Wow, look at that!" He's always geeking out because he loves the passion. He loves
1: the game. He didn't see Derek as somebody who was gonna take away from him.
2: No, he didn't. He saw it as like, wow. He's I'm looking at the next Joe DiMaggio. Mm.
1: He's
2: he's seeing. He's like, wow. That's the love for the game. That's the love for life. We're looking at someone whose passion is so great. We're not really competing with them, but we can learn from them. Yeah. If you look at inspiration, you know how we we build upon each other. Like we 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 tend to motivate each other because we get to see each other cross thresholds. And when we cross thresholds. That's incredibly inspirational.
1: Mm. Well, if the if the guy out there listening right now if if he's wanting to, you know, break this cycle in his life, we've talked about so many different things today. How do we bottom line it? What's the one thing he can start doing today that's going to really make a difference?
2: Start respecting how you feel. This is how you feel. To me, to me Adam, our emotions are like a car alarm. You're like when you put a car alarm and you touch it the alarm goes off. Well, our emotions are real, what triggers them may not be real. The way you know you're being domesticated or you're in domestication is your emotions will let you know. When you're miserable, when you, when you feel inferior, when you feel lack thereof, you know that you're already punishing yourself for something that you are not. Eleanor Roosevelt said, no one can make me feel inferior without my consent. To me, that's one of the most powerful expressions. Those sense of inferiority that you're feeling, because it's because you've given consent to a belief or an idea or someone else's judgment of you to have power over you. Mm-hmm. If you become aware through your emotions that that's how you feel, that that's the trigger. That's that's the awareness. That's the that's the aha moment, the moment of clarity, the moment of truth. Mm-hmm. At that moment, you have a choice. You can continue to live the way you've always lived, which is fine, or you have a choice to change direction. And that is the most important. It's your choice. Mm. No one else's choice but you. How do you want to live your life? And if that question is too huge, then shorten it. How do you want your next five years to look like? How do you want your next 10 years to look like? Mm. And, And what do you want out of life? And answering that from your sense of self, knowing that you're alive is different from answering it from a projected image because one is your choice, one is someone else's point of view.
1: Beautiful. Uh, Don Miguel Ruiz Jr., pick up his books, The Mastery of Self and The Five Levels of Attachment. You can learn more about him at miguelruizjr.com. Miguel, thank you so much.
2: Hey, Trip, thank you so much for having me on your program. It's It's been fun. Thank you so much for the opportunity.
1: If these interviews are helping you, then please visit The New Man on iTunes and leave us a positive review so others can discover the show more easily. Thanks for listening.